You are listening to the Financial Clarity for Doctors podcast by Finity Group, LLC, where we discuss the pertinent financial planning topics facing physicians and other medical professionals. Discussions in this show should not be construed as specific recommendations or investment advice. Always consult with your investment professional before making important investment decisions. Securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research, Inc., a registered broker-dealer, member FINRA SIPC, and now, here are your hosts, Rochelle Vanderzanden and Corey Janoff. Welcome back to Financial Clarity for Doctors. I'm Corey Janoff, joined as always by Rochelle Vanderzanden. Hey, guys. And today, we actually are going to do a, an episode um, that, that a client requested about a year ago. So sorry for the delay here, but we're finally getting around to it. Um, but about uh, how to pay for home projects or home renovations. So pretty much everyone listening here who owns a house or, or will one day own a home, you're, you're going to want to make some changes to your home, whether that be a fresh coat of paint or, or redoing the bathroom or the kitchen or some backyard projects. Um, some of them are, are going to be unexpected uh, but necessary projects, like a tree falls on your your house, or or your air conditioner goes out in the middle of summer when it's 98 degrees. Um, and and uh, you know the, what we're going to talk about today is ways to pay for these things. So some of the projects are going to be grander and more expensive than others. Uh, other projects you should be able to just tackle with the money in your checking account, no problem. But more of the bigger ones that we're gonna, you know, focus on here because those are the ones that we have to game plan a little bit more for. So, what are the best ways, or, or what are some of the different options you have for paying for these projects? And I think from personal experience, and Rochelle, you can probably attest to this, and anyone else listening. But it, it always seems that the projects tend to cost more than planned. Without a quote, it's not right. <laughs> There's always something that comes up or they get started and then you want to do a couple other things along the way to add on to it while they're, they're, uh, they're working on it. So anyways, uh, budget more than the, uh, than the initial estimate. Absolutely. I think the first step is always assessing, obviously, what you want to do, making a game plan. And I think it's really helpful to you know, sit down with your partner, with your spouse if you have one, and just put together a list. And you can put down every pipe dream wish that you have for home repairs, but then try to differentiate between what are the needs and what are the wants. Like if you have a crack in your foundation, it's probably a need to take care of that. If your water heater has broken, it's probably a need to take care of that. But there are other things that you may think of as a need, but really you got to look hard at it and make sure that you're right. Like if you are thinking, we really need to remodel the kitchen because it's dated, we're going to want to sell it someday, it's just not going to sell this way. I think, one, you bought it, so obviously someone will buy it. (laughs) And I will say, like when I was shopping for our home or when my husband and I were, Um, It was quite the hot market, and I remember we bid on one house that literally had no dishwasher, super dated everything in the kitchen, and it went for like $30,000 over asking price. So there are some things that you may think that you need you probably don't. That's okay. It's just that we want to make sure we're kind of labeling things accordingly. Like this is a want if we have some extra cash flow, some extra resources, absolutely do this. But we're not necessarily going to do this in a way that's detrimental to our financial plan as a whole, or ideally 
we don't do that. <laughs> I do think one other thing that we want to think about when we're spending money on our house, though, is, you know, if we are spending money and we are making these improvements and it makes our home more livable for ourselves, that's a good thing, especially if it keeps you from selling your house and buying a more expensive house and paying a lot of transaction costs that you avoid if you're improving your own home. So that it, that can make sense a lot when you're looking at it from a financial perspective. So there's a lot of things that we want to think about there. You can Google a lot of these things, like what's the return on investment? Like, does this make sense? Am I just doing it for me? And that's okay. If you're just doing it for you and for your family to make it work out, let's just make sure that we're acknowledging that before we jump in with both feet. I know, Corey, you had a particular funny example of this that we were talking about a little bit earlier. I'm going to tell our guests. Yeah, I mean, I guess several examples. I mean, I think you hit it right on the head, the, you know, we need to redo the kitchen. And like you said, no, you bought the house in the current state. Um, you don't, someone, there, there, someone will buy it. There's a price for everything. Like everything has a price, except maybe your kids. And unfortunately in, in this world, some people will still have a price for their kids, but um, you know, it, it's, it, someone will buy it in its current condition. It may not be the price you want to sell it for if you're, if you're looking to sell it, but someone will buy it. Um, like when I bought my condo, I bought it foreclosed from the bank in 2010 when, half the real estate market was foreclosed. Um, you could walk down a street and just point at a property that you wanted and it was bank owned. Uh, it seemed like, but, uh, the bank sure as heck wasn't doing any improvements to try and sell it. So it was the condition, like luckily it was in pretty good condition. The carpet was stained and had to be cleaned and, and the, uh, I needed to repaint the walls, but rather minor stuff. I think one of the windows had a broken seal and was fogged, but I never ever fixed it and sold it five years later as is. Um, never made any home improvements. I guess the one improvement we did make, I, I, I took the knobs on the cabinets in the kitchen and, and replaced them with some new knobs from Home Depot for a total cost of like $60. And uh, so that was my big uh, home renovation, if you will, aside from, you know, painting the walls. Um, but and and I was able to sell it, no problem. You know, five years later, so it, it will sell. Um, you know, looking at my current neighborhood, you know, we, we live in a pretty cool neighborhood. There, it was really well planned and designed. There's uh, parks and basketball courts and pickleball courts, a beach volleyball court, walking and biking trails. They uh, they have like a, a lawn garden area for concerts pre-COVID that they would do in the summers, and there's a farmer's market in the summers as well. So it's a pretty desirable neighborhood if you want to live in this, you know, part of the Portland metro area. Um, but there's like, you know, several, you know, three or four builders for the, the for this neighborhood, and they all have just several floor plans that they use. So there's only like a dozen houses to pick from in this neighborhood. They the, A dozen floor plans, I should say. The exteriors are different. They'll change the colors, and they might do like a craftsman style or one that's like stucco or an English Tudor, or I don't even know the names of the different home styles. But like at the end of the day, it's all the same house. You know, it's the same layout. The interior might have different colored cabinets, but it's, it's all the exact same layout. So like if you're, you know, looking to live in this neighborhood, you know, how much are you willing to pay for a house that's been renovated and updated with all like the fancy cabinets and countertops and heated bathroom tile floors when you could get a literally identical house you know, maybe not quite as, you know, fancy. Maybe it doesn't have marble countertops. Maybe it's just granite. Maybe the wood coloring on the cabinets is, isn't the, the same shade, but at the same, but at the end of the day, it's the exact same house. So I don't know how much more people would be willing to pay for a, a nicely 
updated and renovated home. Um, so it's it really is you know do the do the projects for you. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, not because you think it'll improve the resale value significantly. I think that about a year, year and a half ago, maybe now, we had real estate agent Rick McDowell on uh, a couple podcasts, one on home buying and one on home selling. And he was talking about the ROI on, on home projects. And I think the one example that I remember was a major kitchen remodel had about a 54% ROI on it, meaning like Which, if you spent... yeah. $100,000 on a new kitchen, it boosts your home resale value by about 54000 So you're doing it for you, uh, not for, for someone else. And um, like I said, there's a price for everything. Someone will pay for it. Even if you're not looking to move, like if someone offered you enough money, you'd sell your house. And a, a fun example I have, um, you know, back in the mid-90s, Mike Dunleavy Sr. was the coach of the Portland Trailblazers. And uh, when he was hired as coach, he moved into a neighborhood a few doors down from one of my best friends. And rumor has it, you know, I I haven't spoken to Coach Dunleavy to verify this, but I don't know why it isn't true. Apparently, he walked up to to this house. You know, it was probably the nicest house in the neighborhood. And at the time, you know, this is mid-90s, keep in mind, so like 25 years ago. Um, you know, homes in this neighborhood is a pretty upscale neighborhood probably would go for this home that he, he bought would probably sell for like the sixes, maybe sevens. Uh, but supposedly he just walked up to the house, said, I'll give you $800,000 for your house and I'll give you an extra 50,000 if you're out within two weeks. <laughs> and two weeks later, the Dunleavy's moved in. <laughs> so, you know, if, if someone's willing to give you enough money, uh, you'll move out of your house too. Um, and you know, whatever condition it's in, you know, there's a price for everything. Absolutely. So getting down to the point of our podcast today, which is if we have chosen to do these home improvements, whatever they are, needs or wants, and we need a a good chunk of money, what are the options for paying for it? And we're going to go through a few options today. Some of them you may have heard of before, but we're going to go through in a bit more detail about like kind of the positives and negatives of those different things. So one option is just to pay cash. One is to do like a home equity line of credit. You could potentially take out like a second mortgage or do like a cash out refinance on your mortgage. You can also take on things like construction loan. And then it's potentially an option to even negotiate a payment plan with a contractor that you hire. And then, you know, there's always family. If your parents are doing really well and you know they have more than they need, maybe they'll loan you a little bit of money to make it happen. So obviously all of these things have some things that are attractive about them and some things that are are less so. Um, paying cash, that's probably the simplest way if you have the money, which is really nice. Um, I think it's one of those things where we don't want to dig too deep to make that happen, though, because we do want to make sure that we still have cash on hand for emergencies, for anything that happens with our house, for if we have to, you know, not be working for a little while or something like that. So if you do have an extensive home repair and you want to pay cash, it's probably a good idea to make sure you have more cash on hand than you expect it to cost. Because if that's the plan and there's no backup plan and then it ends up costing more than we expect, just like we talked about earlier, we do want to make sure that we have some sort of buffer built in. And it might be that you're kind of like paying as you go and you just have quite a bit of extra cash flow. And if that's true, like more power to you. Um, 
And I think that that can be a good way to avoid additional debt, to avoid paying interest, and to do something that is very obviously well within your means. Like if you're able to pay cash, then we're probably not stretching ourselves too far to make that happen. And we do want to kind of assess and make sure we're meeting our other goals still. Like we're not neglecting retirement savings to do this. We're not neglecting potentially, you know, saving in other areas. But for some people, this is going to be really doable and it's probably the most straightforward way to go about it. Anything to add there, Corey? No, like it's probably my favorite way because it's the simplest yeah. way. Um, and you know, I think for for the emergency stuff, you know, it's always smart to have an emergency fund. Obviously, you have a slush fund available because there's things that are bound to happen, and you'll need some money to fix the water heater, repair the roof, and whatnot. And you know, those five, ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollar projects that pop up. Some of them you can't anticipate. Some of them just happen. Uh, but having the the cash on hand to cover that and and living below your means and just saving for the sake of saving, even if you're already saving enough for your other financial goals, having a little extra wiggle room there that you just accumulate in the bank account, um, you know, so you have that slush fund if and when needed is powerful because then you have the flexibility to tackle those projects if and when they come about. But that would be. Uh, probably the primary thing I would look at, if you can pay cash, let's do it. Or if you know there's a project you want to do in the next couple of years and we have the ability to save up cash to pay for it a couple of years from now, I'd probably go that route. Absolutely. And then obviously we move on to different ways of financing these home improvements. It may be like if you're taking on a particularly large project or you know, you're adding additions, things like that. Like those can be very, very expensive and very difficult to to pay for out of the cash that you have on hand or cash that you're able to accumulate it. So a HELOC, if any of you have ever heard of that before, is a home equity line of credit. So it's actually just an additional line of credit on top of your mortgage. But one thing about these is that you generally have to have some equity in your home before a bank will allow you to take out a HELOC. So the typical like max loan to value ratio is 80%, which just means the bank isn't necessarily going to want to lend you any more money than 80% of the value of your home. So if you have a mortgage and it's a physician mortgage and you're already at like 90% loan to value because you financed 90% of the purchase price, it's pretty unlikely that you would qualify for something like this. So, you know, you kind of have to, to choose the product that works best for you and this not might not be the best product for everyone for that reason. They also do have variable interest rates. So right now we're in a relatively low interest rate environment, but if you keep that line of credit open and if you have charged against it and interest rates go up in the future, you could end up paying quite a bit more than you expect to. So ideally, if we do take out a, a HELOC and, and use that line of credit to finance these remodels at our house, ideally you can kind of knock them out in a fairly short time frame because that way you're less exposed to that variable interest rate risk. Like if we're going to pay for it in like two years or something like that, it's not going to be as big of a deal if there are interest rate changes. And you can use them multiple times also. It's it's almost like a credit card. Like it's it's a line of credit, not necessarily a specific dollar amount for a specific project, which means you can tap into it over and over again if you need to. Like we can tap into it and use it for our kitchen remodel and then, you know, work towards paying it back. But then let's say 
something breaks and we know that the interest rate on our HELOC is fairly low and we'd just rather do that than tap into our emergency reserves, then you can potentially do that and replace the roof. Um, so there's lots of different ways that you can use those. The nice thing is that they're really flexible, but we do want to be really careful about that interest component. Yeah, I think the other risk and devil's in the details, make sure you understand the terms of your loan, but this is what got a lot of people into trouble back in 08, 09. You know, they might have they had outstanding debt balances on the HELOCs, interest rates rose, you know, credit was getting tight, and then some banks have the ability to call the balance due at any time, and that could really get you into trouble if that's the case. So understand if they have that uh, provision written in, or if you have flexibility to pay it off over time. Um, but yeah, with HELOCs, you know, super easy, super flexible, because like you said, Rochelle, it's basically like a credit card. You can tap into it as needed um, and then use it whenever you want to. And, and generally, the minimum payments are just interest only. So you, you don't really have a, a large minimum payment balance. But we generally want to pay those back pretty quickly because there's risks with interest rising and whatnot. So um, it's good if you plan to have a plan in place to pay it off over a couple of years and, and get it out of the picture. Definitely. The other one that that's kind of like a HELOC but not quite as flexible would be a second mortgage. So if you have equity in your home, just like a HELOC, you know, a bank isn't going to lend you money unless the value of your home is worth considerably more than the outstanding loan balance. But if you have enough equity, like maybe your your mortgage is 300000 and your house is worth 700000 um, okay, so we have 400000 of equity. We might be able to go up to 80% loan to value, so we could take out a couple hundred thousand on a, on a second mortgage there. Um, and, uh, you know, just like a primary mortgage, you know, you could do a 30-year, a 15-year, uh, fixed rate, variable rate, you know, you got some options there, but it'll then just be a, a fixed monthly payment for whatever time span you signed up for. Generally, the interest rate is going to be higher because it's a second loan, not a first loan. So if you're, you know, right now when we're recording this in mid-February of 2021, you could get a 30-year primary mortgage for under 3%. It's kind of nuts. But the, the second mortgage might be like, you know, four or five, maybe 6% interest. So it's going to be a little bit higher, but again, you lock in a historically relatively low interest rate. And if you have a plan maybe to pay it off a little more aggressively than a 30 year timeline, then, uh, you know, that could be a good option to go with as well for, for some of those larger projects. Like if you need a hundred or $200,000 for a, a big, a major home project, that could be a decent option to consider. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to target like paying down debt more quickly, it's just a matter of, you know, choosing your highest interest rate debt and putting your extra money there. So if it's just the mortgage, that's all the debt that you have, your extra money is going towards that second mortgage. So, you know, you might have 15 or 30 years to pay it off, but don't take that long if you don't have to generally, <laughs> especially if it is a, a higher interest rate mortgage. Yeah. And then I like this option too. We have cash out refinance on here. Again, you have to have kind of a fairly high like um, loan-to-value ratio, so you, you need to have some equity in your home to be able to do this. Refinancing looks a lot attractive or, or very attractive right now 
to a lot of people, especially if you bought your house a few years ago and you have a 45 or 5% interest rate, you can potentially refinance, get a lower interest rate, and also take some money out, which is kind of an amazing deal if you think about it. Like that, if you have a lot of equity in your home, that can be a great way to go about it. Um, with cash out refis, Corey, I actually don't know the answer to this, but do you generally have to pay a little bit of a higher interest rate to take out that cash? Um, it depends, I guess, what your current yeah. loan is. And then I think that it would be impacted by um, geographic location and what the jumbo loan limits are. You know, like mm -hmm. right now, I think in a lot right. of a lot of markets around 500,000 is that cutoff line for, for jumbo loans. So if you're um, if your new mortgage balance would exceed that 500k mark, you might end up paying a little bit higher interest as a result. You know, whereas if you recently refinanced and you've got, you know, a 2.875 30-year interest rate on your mortgage, 30 years, but you wanted to then look at doing a cash-out refi and the new rate because of the balance would be 3.5%, well, maybe we don't want to do that. Maybe we do the second mortgage in that scenario and just pay the higher interest rate on that smaller chunk. Um, so it really case-by-case -case basis, but obviously you'll, you know, you'll pay refinancing fees, um, you know, to do so. But like you said, Rochelle, it could be a good option if you have enough equity to lock in one mortgage at one fixed rate and, uh, you know, it'll all be a primary loan. So it should be, you know, you know, lower interest than, than, than a second mortgage would be. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that, that could be a, a reasonable option to go with. Just remember when you're, when, anytime you're doing a refinance, you know, let's stick with the 30 year loan example, you're restarting, the clock on a new 30-year loan. So if you're five years in to a 30-year mortgage and then you refinance to a new 30-year loan, you're adding a new 30-year loan. So it's essentially like a 35-year total payoff timeline from when you originally bought the house to when the loan will officially be done if you stick with the minimum payments. So a lot of people, it, it, it's a little misleading. They'll be like, ooh, I could refinance and my payment goes down by $700 a month. Well, part of that's due to lower interest, but another part of it's due to you just extending the loan timeline by five years. So um, so we wanna do some math there and figure out you know, what's the uh, minimum payment we would need to actually pay it off in the same amount of time, assuming we want to stick with that same timeline. And it might be that if you end up paying like $200 a month extra, you know, you're still saving 500 a month, you know, rather than 700. So it's a win-win, but you're on the same payoff trajectory from when you originally bought the house. Definitely. And you can also look at like the total interest amount you're going to pay over the life of the loan. So let's say, you know, I'm in a current 30-year mortgage. I have 25 years left. How much interest am I going to pay from this year five or six till the end of the loan term? And then if I restarted with a brand new 30-year mortgage, how much interest would I pay in total over that 30 years? And, you know, if the interest rate is reduced enough, it, it might just pencil out that you end up paying less even if you take another 30 years to do it. But you might not want to have that payment for that long. For sure. Yeah, yeah that's where, yeah. you know, we can come in handy with our clients that we're mm -hmm. working with, figure out, all right, what's the best strategy here? How do we want to approach this? And we've got to factor in all the other financial goals, of course. Are we on track for, you know, retirement and college and, and you know, paying off our student loans, other other pressing things, too, and figure out where the paying off the mortgage aggressively fits into the equation. Mm-hmm. I know one other option is potentially to take out a construction loan. 
And I think in order to qualify for that kind of a thing, we'd have to look at that return on investment. So like the the bank isn't necessarily going to, to make you a loan for your kitchen reno and give you $100,000 if it's only going to be worth $50,000. Like they're not necessarily going to do that. But if you are looking at bigger projects where maybe it's an addition on the house, maybe we're adding bedrooms or bathrooms or building like a livable unit above a detached garage, like those kinds of things can potentially increase the value. And in order to qualify for a construction loan, they'd likely look at what like the value of that project is going to be worth and then give you some sort of, you know, proportion of that that dollar amount at that point in time. Um, and so, like, there's appraisals and, and things like that that are involved that can, I mean, a lot of refis have appraisals anyway, but it can make it a little bit more complicated. It is nice, though, because they give you some flexibility where you do have to start kind of paying that loan up front. But while construction is underway, you potentially only have to make interest payments and then it can switch into a more traditional mortgage once the project is complete. And I don't know as much about this process, Corey. That's just my my basic understanding of it. Anything yeah. I'm missing there? I mean, I'm not an expert in the mortgage arena, yeah. but I've yeah. seen enough people do it where, yeah, it's like I have a, the detached garage example. I have a client who did that recently where they, they basically built a, like a one-bedroom um like mother-in-law home or if you will that they're planning to rent out via airbnb mm-hmm. um uh and generate some passive income from it so you it, it's pretty in-depth and involved it takes a while you got to get permits for all this stuff you know you're adding units and whatnot um so it can take a while you got to work with the architects and designers and then you submit the all the proposals to the lender they'll give you an, an estimated appraised value of all right you, you know you're you're tackling this project based on the new square footage, the number of bedrooms, bathrooms, etc. You know your new home will be worth, you know, eight hundred thousand um, dollars up from the current five hundred thousand dollar value. So we're we'll we'll lend you eighty percent loan to value. So you know we'll we'll lend you six hundred forty thousand dollars for for this project or, or, or the total loan amount can be 640 so if you already have a, a four hundred forty thousand dollar mortgage outstanding you can get two hundred thousand dollars from the bank for this project so if we have a two hundred thousand dollar project it pencils out perfectly and then like <laughs> we said at the beginning it's probably going to cost more than two hundred thousand so you'll need to have some cash <laughs> on hand to cover that difference uh, but just be be prepared for that so uh, but yeah, it, it, you know, you, like you said, you have basically a short-term loan during construction in addition to your regular mortgage, and then once the project's complete, it all refinances into one new traditional mortgage when it's all done, and then you just have one regular monthly payment, um, and all is well at that point. So definitely a little more complex, takes more time and, and, and thought and, and effort to get it all done, But but those are common when, like you said, Rochelle, you're you're adding additions or creating more livable space to the house and it's increasing the value significantly enough to where a bank will, will lend you money for that additional increased value uh, in the form of a new mortgage. Yep. It's like they're giving you some money for equity that you don't have yet, but <laughs> but you will in the mm-hmm. future. Yes, yeah. exactly. The other when you one... are taking on, yeah, okay. go ahead. I was just going to say when you are taking on 
Yeah, when you are taking on bigger projects and things like that, and you do want to pay cash, but you don't necessarily have the amount to pay up front, you can potentially negotiate a payment plan with your contractor. Um, this would be a little bit more difficult. Like, they're going to require a good chunk up front because they have costs too. You know, like they have to pay for supplies, they have to pay labor, and all of that kind of thing. But a lot of times when it's, it's a bigger product or project and it's worthwhile to the contract like they have a little bit of flexibility to make sure that they get that project like they you can even tell them like hey we're talking to a couple of contractors and and use that kind of as leverage like this is what this person can do for me can you do something similar i mean you don't want to give them an estimate or like an incentive to lowball you like hopefully that doesn't happen but <laughs> but you can you can be upfront with people about the fact that you're you're looking for the the best deal that works best for you and your family so that's one other option just to kind of spread out costs a little bit if you do want to pay for it out of pocket. Yeah, especially and if it's then, something that's maybe completed in stages, you could work out, you know, a mm -hmm. big part for stage one, stage two, and ongoing, et cetera. And easier to do some of that negotiating if it's maybe a large, well, easier easier for the, the contractor if it's maybe a larger company to like, ha and they have some slush fund available to, to grant that flexibility versus if it's like Joe, the handyman, he, he may not want to entertain a, a finance plan with you. Uh, but at the same time, you know, Joe, the handyman, if he's looking for the business and it's a big project and he knows it can be a pay as you go type plan, maybe, maybe he will entertain that. So, but it doesn't hurt to ask, you know, haggle a little bit. Worst they can tell you is no. Um, mm -hmm. But, uh, and that can be something where like y you negotiate a fixed rate up front, like you have a big project and they give you an estimated value. And like we said, it's probably going to ultimately cost more. You might be able to negotiate like, Hey, I'm, I'm going to cap it at a hundred thousand. You're going to tackle this project, do everything you promised. And I'm going to give you no more than a hundred, no more or no less than a hundred thousand dollars. And if they agree to it, but you know, there is more labor costs than they anticipated, that's on them. Um, so you can definitely get it and get it in writing, of course, but uh, <laughs> but you might be able to you know keep your costs fixed that way by by negotiating the the full price up front for that project. And it can be an incentive for your builder too to just keep costs lower. And you know if they manage to minimize costs on their end, they win a little bit, but they probably did a little extra work to make that happen. Yeah, you gotta be careful. We don't want them cutting corners, but uh, yeah, you know, at the same time. You know, we don't want them just racking up the bill because they're dragging their feet. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then the magical last option. Bank you could <laughs> potentially borrow from your family. <laughs> Not everyone's family is even in like a good position to be able to, to help out with those kinds of things. But it comes up. You know, I also have clients sometimes who like maybe they have some trust money and they don't have full access to it yet, but they chat with their, their parents or their family members, whoever's kind of in control of that, and, and negotiate to take a loan against the trust or, or something like that. So, you know, for, for things like that, it can make sense. I would say if it's going to cause strife over Christmas dinner, maybe let's not do that because it's just not worth it in the long term. It's just not worth it. But, you know, if you can do that and or if you've had experience with that in the past and it's gone fairly well for you, it can, it can definitely be an option. Yeah, and some families are, are wanting to assist and help. Like they're will yeah. they give you the money without even like charging interest or asking for it back. But 
you know, you, you could you could work out a, a private loan agreement, and there's like rules with minimum interest rates that they that you have to charge to be considered a loan, but it's below market. Like if you can get a a traditional mortgage for three percent right now, you could probably get a quote unquote private mortgage from a family member for point nine percent. You know, something ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, again, not for everyone. We don't want it to be awkward at Thanksgiving, but if it, you know, if it's something that your family uh, is willing to or wanting to do, and you're open for it, then that could be a good way to cut out the the banks and the appraisal fees and and yeah. processing fees and all the paperwork and just you know work out something, um, you know, with with your family directly and pay them back over time. Or heck, maybe they they won't ask for the money back. Who knows? It'll just come out of your your future inheritance one day. Mm-hmm. Um, we do but, have to be a little bit careful about money that we accept as a gift, just being true. aware of potential tax consequences. But, you know, if your parents have that kind of money to gift to you, they probably have someone they work with to help them with that. I would yeah, hope. work with the accountant to figure out if there are any, you know, gift tax uh, filing forms you have to report to the IRS yep. and make sure you're doing it in a kosher manner. Absolutely. So, I guess. Else you can think of? I don't think so. I think, you know, if you're going to take on some some home improvements, it might be a good time to do it as far as interest rates go. And make sure it's a good time to do it for you also. And just weigh some things in your mind. Like, does this make sense for me? Do I need this? And, you know, is it how much is it going to increase my happiness? Like all of these <laughs> just sort of questions we can ask ourselves to, to see if it's really worth putting the money into for you. Yeah, and we always tend to get back to what are your goals? What are your priorities? Mm-hmm. Where does it rank on the list of things? But like, it's so true. We don't want you to get sucked into home projects um, to the point where it takes away from your other goals. Like if, if we have a goal of paying for our kids to go to college, but we're not putting any money into their college accounts because we're spending it on on the home projects, well, what's the plan once the home projects are done? Do we have a plan to, you know, accelerate our college funding so that we're we're still on an adequate track? Or if we're putting off our retirement savings, you know, that that makes me a little nervous. If we're, you know, spending money on on quote unquote lifestyle expenses by getting a new kitchen and and heated tiles in the bathroom, <laughs> but we're not saving for retirement, which means we're going to have to work longer and save more to ultimately get to the promised land so you know case by case for everything obviously but but ideally you'd make Rochelle and I happiest if you're still on track to achieving all your other important financial goals and we we've created some flexibility with our spending and cash flow to where we can still afford to tackle these home projects on top of it and if it's the choice between retiring early versus getting the the kitchen redone well that's cool we're, we're all for that decision that's a you decision to make but if it's putting off you know retirement in order to get the kitchen redone that makes us a little more nervous a little sad sad (laughs) for you (laughs) for your future well thank you for i know exactly (laughs) thank you for listening everyone we really appreciate it yep have a good one 
We would love to hear your feedback and suggestions for future topics you'd like us to cover. You can get in touch with the show by emailing podcast at thefinitygroup.com or by following Finity Group on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube at Finity Group LLC. You can follow me on Twitter at Corey Janoff CFP, Instagram at Corey Janoff, or on LinkedIn under my name, Corey Janoff. You can follow me on Twitter at Rochelle Finance or on Instagram, Vanderzanen Rochelle, or on LinkedIn under my name, Rochelle Vanderzanen. Check out all of the podcast episodes on thefinitygroup.com slash podcast, on our Finity Group YouTube channel, or your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to check out our Financial Clarity blog at thefinitygroup.com slash blog. Thanks for listening to this episode of Financial Clarity for Doctors by Finity Group, LLC.